1: Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney.
2: Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I'm Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, one year after the united states shut down to deal with the coronavirus epidemic there are abundant signs we are reaching the beginning of the end the vaccines are rolling out Uh, some companies that have required employees to work from home for the last 12 months are starting to allow them back to the office and not only are we no longer filling our podcast with reviews of tv that we've been streaming gosh that seems a long time ago (laughs) i kept us going for a while we actually find ourselves with so much boxing that we have to have a special extra edition of the podcast to pack it all in.
1: Yes, uh, this week, for the third time so far this year, Showtime shot us in the arm with a midweek showbox to be followed by a second shot of Showtime Championship Boxing on Saturday night. And while we have previously incorporated recaps of both in our usual Monday morning podcast We want to do something a little different this time because the Showbox main event showcased rapidly rising young junior welterweight Brandon Lee. The 21-year-old has now had more professional fights than birthdays, uh, raising his record to 22-0 with 20 KOs, with a vicious third-round highlight reel knockout of Samuel Tia.
2: Who?
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's uh, it's Tia... Not T. That was my screw up on the most recent podcast. I apologize. Uh, never trust what you hear someone say in a YouTube video. That's the lesson <laughs> here. Uh, so, exactly. In
2: every walk of life.
1: <laughs> right. It's t- really never trust anyone in general, but particularly yep. on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Someone was interviewing Tia's trainer and pronounced it T. And the trainer didn't correct him. So I thought maybe it was T. But no, it's Tia. So consider this my Tia culpa. Oi. <laughs> I'll apologize for that joke on the next pod. Uh, Anyway, uh, Tia entered the contest with a decent record of 17-3-1 against solid showboxy type opponents, but really got the gig because he had not been stopped or even dropped previously in his pro career. The goal, presumably, was to try and get some rounds for Lee, who has yet to reach the fifth. Uh, But that goal evaporated once Lee's father and trainer told him after the second round to go hit Tia on the top of the head while he was crouching down. Uh, Lee went out and did just that, knocking him down once and then out brutally with a right hand, uh, the end coming at 143 of the third round. So, Kieran, we've seen Brandon Lee plenty of times now, but going in, this one felt a little different because Tia seemed like the ideal person to extend him a little and felt as if we might learn something about Lee that we hadn't learned before. Did we? Uh, And did you come away any more impressed with Lee or more optimistic about his future than you were going in? Yeah, I think we learned that
2: his power is is legit it's not just a function of it being up against weak opposition i mean we felt that way anyway i think um but this was this went some way to providing the kind of confirmation that i think we wanted um look t is not the most remarkable of boxes or the strongest of punches but as you just mentioned and as we talked about quite a bit uh, on monday when we were previewing this his level of opposition or, or last week i think rather his level of opposition had been pretty solid um and yeah and while he didn't win all of those contests against that level of opposition you know he had shown himself to be durable but in the event he not only got knocked down and stopped he was knocked clean unconscious for a bit mm-hmm. by a tremendous viral right hand um what was also interesting to me that that i learned i personally learned that i hadn't picked up before from watching a brandon lee's fights was his corner um you know i liked hearing them offer simple guidance they'd obviously taken a couple of rounds seen what was going on saw the way that tia was fighting simply said to brandon he's crouching down a lot hit him on the top of the head Mm -hmm. brandon goes out and executes i really like that very simple obviously you know like like you mentioned his father's one of the people in his in his corner but i I just like that that is obviously a very good communication there and and that that auger well as well um you know look i think going in you and I both fully expected Tia to at least take him deep, or at least deeper than, he, than he's used to going Brandon Lee, but it just didn't happen. And I think what I also liked is that, unlike some pure punchers, especially at this stage of their career, he didn't go out, Brandon Lee, on a seek-and-destroy mission. He's perfectly happy to go and box for a couple of rounds, wait till he or his team figure out what the opportunity is, then go for that opening, and then just don't waste any time about it, but... Uh, you know, and, and do so very calmly. And when he had Tia Hurt, he finished. I was just very impressed all the way around by his maturity and calmness. Um, it, it did to me. I th- I feel like it, it did tell me a bit more. It sort of filled in some gaps. It it made me feel that, you know, he really does have some real potential for progress. This isn't just a shimmerer here. I, I don't want to get carried away. I'm not saying right. that now he needs to go fight Regis <laughs> Progray or anything like that. But But there's real growth potential there. Uh I thought this was definitely an important step. He, he stepped up his level of opposition and he took care of it. So, yeah, I was impressed.
1: Yeah, it's a, same here. I mean, his stock definitely goes up uh, a, a good amount with this one. You know, not that this one win proves Brandon Lee is for real, but it strongly suggests he is. Uh, and it, it, at least it meaningfully confirms that the power is real. Uh, yeah. You know, wh- whatever happens in the career of Brandon Lee from here on out, we'll know we were watching a legit puncher. You don't Mm -hmm. fluke your way to 20 knockouts in 22 fights, including a KO3 over a guy like Tia who'd never been really hurt before. Um, I was also impressed with Lee's jab. Um, Mm -hmm. he, He uses it really well to set up the power. And uh, I noticed in this fight uh, where we got to see a little more of him than we, than we sometimes <laughs> do, uh, I noticed that he has this really potent combination of long arms and quick hands. And he was really able to pick Tia off whenever Tia got ideas about trying to take the mm. fight to him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So what do you want to see from him next then? What, and what is, we've talked about this before, like how are we going to get like a test for Brandon Lee? What's his progress going to be? Well, we've had a test for him. So what would you like to see his timeline being going
1: forward? So obviously I'd like to see him go more rounds uh, and, uh, and, Maybe lose a few rounds against a tricky guy and have to battle back, and just in general get tested some. I'd like to see that, but you can't force that. Uh, And Mm -hmm. of course, you don't want to just throw him right in with the best in the world just to make sure he gets tested. That's not how this works. Um, The activity is great. He's fighting every two to three months, not counting a little pandemic layoff there. So as long as the fights aren't physically taxing, that should continue. Keep getting him out there every two or three months. And You just need to keep trying to find him better opponents who have a shot at making him work and taking him rounds. Um, I wouldn't do this one yet, but if you're still desperate to get him rounds a year from now and Brandon still looks good and looks ready, You put him in with someone like Rancis Barthelemy. Um, Hmm. It it might not be fun to watch, and it might not end in a knockout. But if it is fun to watch it or it does end in a knockout, that really tells you something. Um, But in the meantime, I'm thinking good veterans like Pablo Cesar Cano, someone on that level feels a fight or two away right now, Um, maybe around the end of the year a meeting with a fellow showbox A-side winner type in a Showtime Championship boxing opener, uh, like a Subriel Matias, maybe, someone like that. Mm -hmm. Look, he's only 21. There is no rush at all. Uh, I think the next 18 months, which should cover six fights or so at the pace he's on right now, it's just different styles, different gradual steps up in class, keep gaining experience, and if all goes well... Eighteen months or so from now, if he's actually as good as he looks right now, no reason not to put him in with one of the best guys in the division. And and by the way, if you really want to get him rounds in the meantime, you could have him fight a veteran welterweight uh, who who might have a better mm. chance of taking that punch. I'm thinking like an Adrian Granado, someone like that. Um, mm. or you want to get him rounds and build his name and fight a guy who's. Mm, sort of a welterweight it seems to be at least a little bigger than a junior welterweight. This is something you talked about recently using Adrian Broner as a stepping stone. That <laughs> could be the perfect fight for Brandon wow, Lee yeah. in like a year or so from now. Yeah yeah that i that i
2: definitely watch for all kinds of reasons um
1: <laughs> yeah no, no no you're right isn't it i think the
2: trick is to at this stage sort of for the next couple of fights find him someone who's sort of on that tail level but but now who can provide him with different looks like mm-hmm. like you said the super awkward like defensive moving you know good footwork kind of guy somebody's got to track down uh someone who you know who operates behind a tight defense something like that now you start giving him all the different looks you're like all right kids for real he can definitely fight at this level let's test him exactly let's let's make sure that he's learning these things as he goes along i was thinking the name that i jotted down by say the end of the year was like a Cleta selden type basically mm-hmm. in that same kind of category that you're talking about like um you know good experienced veteran who's you know who's gonna who should test him a little bit um and then yeah the, then there's going to come a point by the m- middle of next year where he's got to be doing top 20 guys consistently if he keeps doing these getting these wins um and then yeah i was noting that at this kind of rate at that kind of progress he's gonna have over 30 fights before he fights for a world title but that's okay Mm -hmm. uh, when all your fights last three rounds (laughs) uh, and and you're that young but but yeah so far uh i I think this was an important fight because we wanted to see him not stagnate uh and take that step up he's taken that step up looked very good um yeah and this kind of progress slow not steady Not rushed. I think it's just what the kid needs. All
1: right. So let's wrap up this conversation by talking briefly about the knockout itself. Uh, It rapidly went viral on social media and with good reason. Uh, I know I retweeted the hell out of that thing. Uh, Two and a half months into the year, we already have two excellent contenders for knockout of the year. Does this one take the lead from the early favorite, Oscar Valdez's KO of Miguel Burchelt? No, Um, I I think the stakes were higher. Valdez Burchell and
2: so was the quality of opposition um plus I, I thought the execution of the knockout was just that more spectacular with Valdez Burchell the way that Valdez was moving backward and slip while slipping Burchell's punches and walking Burchell onto that that counter left it was just astonishingly good um and almost every other year this would be a leader um uh uh, for brandon lee for for knockout of the year or you know a very solid contender Mm -hmm. but it does mean that there's competition at least you know but but the very least when we get to the end of the year we'll know that they'll we'll have at least a list of contenders to draw up um even if aldez Pachel is still the favorite but i think the most important thing is what you touched about the fact that it went so viral it means i think we get we're so into just you know, watching Showbox all the time and talking about Showbox that we forget probably that not a lot of people watch Showbox and only the really hardcore boxing fans. The fact that this went so viral means it's probably a lot more people now are aware of Brandon Lee than we were aware about him on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and for his career and his development, that's no bad thing at all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He maybe didn't get all the rounds that he wanted to get out of this fight, but in terms of exposure, you couldn't have asked for more. Um, I'm with you that Valdez Burchell is the leader right now because of significance. But just in terms of being aesthetically delightful slash awful, uh, th- yeah. this this was right there with it. Um, and it occurs to me that you can't spell Brandon without D-U-N. Uh, and uh, Tia was D-U-N done, to use one of your favorite <laughs> little lines, the instant that right hand connected. <laughs> what a shot. Yeah, yeah, it was. And there was a touch of the
2: um, Triple G against, uh, who was it? Was it David Lemieux? No, Daniel Geel. Geel was hitting Golovkin as Golovkin was. Oh right, out, right, right, right. So there was a little element of that. Oh, I'll take the left hook from
1: you, and then I'll just crumple you. Wait, now hand. I'm trying to remember. Was it Giel that was throw Who was the bo- the body punch? Was Macklin? And you're right. Yes, Giel was the one who was landing yes. as he got knocked out. So uh, yeah. yeah, maybe uh, maybe Brandon Lee is on his way to one of those careers where every every knockout has like a little unique thing that we remember about it and right. attached to it the same way it was with Triple G for a little
2: while there. there. Which would not be a bad bad career to end up with. No. <laughs> all right let's turn to the man himself now comfortably back at home in sunny california after his emphatic knockout victory on wednesday night he is 22 and with 20 kos still looking to see what life is like in the fifth round and beyond it is of course brandon lee brandon congratulations on your win and thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us on the showtime boxing podcast
1: well thank you
0: for having me i appreciate it uh
1: so as kieran said congratulations on the win and on the way you achieved it uh it was the 20th knockout of your pro career and it is surely already your, your best-known knockout because of the speed with which it went viral on social media. From your perspective, where does it rank among your knockouts so far?
0: Man, that's a hard one. It's either on my top of my list or it's number two. Uh, back in October, I had another sensational knockout against Jimmy Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was uh, – I mean, they're both very similar because they both went to sleep before they hit the ground. So uh, – okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, that's a tough one. Okay, one of one
1: of those two. But what what did it feel like? Like, can you feel something different in your arm,
0: your fist, something when a punch that perfect lands? Yeah, most definitely. You could feel. Um, you could feel that you're not you're not trying that hard to throw a punch. I feel like when I when I try to tense up and hit my hardest, I don't hit that hard. When I just let it flow and let my hands um, do what they do, <laughs> so that's when uh, the power comes out. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, I mean, the the, the assumption was that Tia was
2: there to give you rounds. Were you expecting him to take you deeper in this fight? Um, And is there any frustration that you can't get people to hang with you for more than
0: three rounds? Uh, I was, to be honest, I was expecting him to give me some rounds. I really was. um, I had so many DMs through Instagram and Twitter and just all over YouTube. I'll just search on my name and I'll see a whole bunch of comments saying that um, this guy's going to beat Tia, this guy's going to make an upset. This guy's gonna drown Lee in later later rounds. All this, and uh, so I was I was prepared mentally and physically to go later rounds, um, and no, you know it's not upsetting at all that I can't I can't get some rounds. <laughs> <laughs> i
2: mean it was interesting like it looked like you were prepared to be very patient what i loved about the fight those first couple of rounds you were clearly patient using your jab and then as soon as your corner saw that one thing like he's stuck in go hit him on the top of the head you yep. went in there and did it it was great it wasn't like you were deliberately trying to get yourself extra rounds you were waiting for the opportunity when you saw it you jumped on it
0: yeah the first two rounds you know i was just filling i'm filling him out and um i was trying to it's i was i was kind of like dissecting him kind of you know um seeing where his weaknesses were and um i would even though i saw some weaknesses i didn't capitalize on it so i knew that i'm gonna get you right Mm. all
1: right so power punchers come in all kinds of different forms there are guys like tommy hearns who had ridiculous torque and leverage on his punches there are people like Gennady Golovkin uh, who your dad actually referenced in the corner before the third round fighters like Triple G who are tremendously heavy-handed you seem to fall a little between the two where does your power come from and has it been there all through your career like even when you were a kid in the gym without that so-called man
0: strength yet um man that's hard but I do know that around like the age of 12 12 or 13 that's when my power started developing that's when i that was the first time i dropped one of the one of the dudes i was fighting in um at the fights and i remember back in like 20 2014 it may have been at the junior olympics um the first year i went i was knocking everyone out every day i would fight i knocked everyone out until the finals so i mean i have a track history of not going <laughs> the full foot <fight. laughs>
1: right so i guess so doing the math i guess you were something like 14 or, or, or so then so that's really it was somewhere in those early teenage years you went from kid learning how to box and doing pretty well with it to oh my god i've i've, I've got a real weapon here my, my fists are causing damage yeah
0: definitely I, I i even believe we took no we didn't take okay so uh, from the age like eight to like 11 or 12 that's when it was all point system in amateurs. It was just points. So you, you touch me, that's a point. You touch me, that's a point. Mm. And then I think that's when they, the Aiba box, USA boxer Aiba, changed it to the 10 point must system. So now it's about, now they score like as a professional. Mm. So I remember, I think we took like six months. We took like six months just training about sitting down on my punches and um, kind of like, I would say, change up my style a little bit more into like, ah, ah, more into boom, boom. Gotcha. And mm. um, I remember, In 2015, 2016, that was my last amateur fight. And I took a year off before I turned pro. So I could really learn the techniques and development as a professional. And until this day, I'm still learning. Right, 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 right. You
2: know, so talking about people like Tommy Hearns and Triple G, I'm curious whether, you know, in all that process of growing up, whether there are any fighters you particularly admired or model yourself after, and if there are still fighters who you kind of compare yourself to or like to watch and model yourself after at all. No, as
0: a kid, as a kid, I really, I, I loved watching, you know, Pretty Boy Mayweather, not Money Mayweather, Pretty Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know, maybe just the way he carries or the way he spoke, you know, of course, the way he fought, very explosive, counterpunch on point and uh he wasn't a hundred percent counter punch he was also um a fighter who will walk you down he'll beat you you know going backwards or, or coming forward so I really admire that but uh if I wasn't watching Pretty Boy I was watching you know Julian Jackson um Tr- Trinidad uh Cornel Whitaker of course Mike Tyson um of course Tommy Hearns Aaron Pryor um mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. I feel like I watch certain fighters and I take, I take what I like from them, but when it comes to like Aaron Pryor, Mike Tyson and these other fighters, I'm kind of watching the way they carry stuff, carry themselves. And like the mentality, Mm. maybe that's what I enjoy about them.
1: That's a, that's a pretty good mix of boxers, punchers, pressure fighters, all different kinds of styles there. Um, obviously at this point, you're best known for your, your power punching, your knockouts. Mm -hmm. Um, but outside of your power, what do you feel is your greatest strength? And, and also what's the area you would
0: most like to improve on? Um, I feel like my greatest strength is maybe my mentality. Um, I feel like I go in there and no matter what, if I get hit, it's, I stick to the game plan no matter if, no no matter what, um, if the game plan's not working, I'm going to switch it up and go to plan B. Um, I think I always stay on, on a straight line, and I don't get messed up. So I think that's what keeps me uh, good. Okay. And, Red, what about something something to work on, an area that you're trying to improve at? You know, for some reason in sparring, I have the best defense I've ever seen. But in, <laughs> when I fight, it's like I'm getting touched more and more. So we need to clean that up a little bit. Okay
2: yeah you had that little uh we were talking about it like you had a little triple g thing going on there where you know remember when he knocked out daniel gill when gill hit him you did the same thing the other night
0: yeah i took a punch and gave a punch yep
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) um Obviously, a lot of boxers have found their careers placed on temporary hold in 2020 because of COVID. You were able to fight four times that uh, last year. And because so that basically means you've been in the gym a lot. And I'm wondering if the fact that you spend so little time in the ring during your actual fights, does that make it all the more important to be constantly in the gym and to be fighting as regularly as possible?
0: Well, just, uh, you know, when COVID first happened back in early last year, you know, uh, everything stopped. There's no fights, no one was fighting, the gyms were closing. And luckily, you know, I have a gym in my home. So just because the fight just because they said, okay, we're putting all sports on hold, that didn't mean that I stopped I stopped training. You know, I was still training six days a week. Um I mean, as a professional fighter, we always need to keep ourselves in shape, you know, at least not more than 10 pounds from our weight class. And um, I mean, this is our job. Right. So you're still in the
1: early stages of your boxing career, but mm. you're already thinking about what comes next. I know you've mentioned that when the time comes that you hang up your gloves, which is still probably pretty far off, but yeah. when that time comes, you'd be interested in a career in criminal justice. Uh, yeah. What's the origin
0: of that interest? And do you have a particular career in mind? Uh, man, you know, criminal justice is such a broad um, subject. I mean, there's so many things I could do with it, but currently, you know, I'm thinking to go to customs, um, just so I could, you know, just see stuff, see new stuff every day. You know, I like to work at the dock or something check the boats, check the cargo ships. Um, I think that that'd be pretty cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure where your education stands. I know you've been attending college. How, how close yep. or far are you from graduating right now?
0: You know, I'm pretty far. Uh, and I don't I don't mind saying that because I'm a full time professional fighter. So I feel like I'm putting boxing first and uh everything else comes second so i <laughs> <my, my laughs> am taking these damn dogs i'm sorry <laughs> so right. okay. are, are those your dogs we're hearing they're my girlfriend's dogs oh okay <laughs> yeah i came up because i i'm currently i'm gonna head out to la right now but um my girlfriend's mother helps me out with my merch okay, okay. so i'm picking up a package so i could take it over to one of my sponsors
1: all right, well, okay. let let the dogs know they're making a, a podcast appearance. I, <laughs> I, hope, I hope they're not too nervous. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so you were just saying in terms of how far along you are toward your degree, like what what percentage of uh, credits have you gotten
0: at this point? I think I've taken – so I've gone to community college for two years, um, and then I just transferred recent, well, past semester. So I've spent one full semester at the Cal State San Bernardino mm-hmm. uh, when I transferred – and I'm still enrolled like in one class. I'm taking some criminal justice class. And um, I think the first semester I took on like four, four, four or five classes. And I, I think that was just too heavy, too heavy of a load for me. Right. And uh, so now, you know, I'm just taking one or two classes a semester. And um, you know, s- slowly but surely I'll get my degree. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I am fine. Finally, you know, as you said, obviously right now your focus is, is on your boxing. There's a lot more boxing to go until you're inspecting vessels. Um, what <laughs> do you want next? What is your timeline?
0: Uh, that's something that I need to speak with my team and my my manager, Cameron Duncan. Uh, you know, we just got the IBO Intercontinental. So personally, I would like to go for IBO World Title.
1: So, but you don't. So you don't have a specific like uh, time frame in mind. It's just uh, keep let let your team set it up and see where it goes. But
0: but you know. what? <laughs> For me personally, I would like to have the IBO world title by the end of this year, 2021. Okay,
1: Okay. cool. All right. All right. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you, Brandon. We really appreciate you joining us uh, on the podcast. This was your your first time on the Showtime Boxing Podcast, but I suspect not your last. Something tells me we'll be speaking to you <laughs> a lot more as your career progresses. So thanks, thanks again, and, uh, and congratulations on the tremendous knockout win.
0: Uh, thank you for having me. Have a good day.
2: Thanks. You too, Brandon. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, so Lee's win was the big news coming
2: out of Wednesday's card, of course, but there were three undercard bouts as well. So let's touch on them briefly. In the opener, lightweight Victor Padilla overcame a first round knockdown to score a fifth round stoppage of former sparring partner Thomas Velasquez. That was followed by a unanimous decision win over eight rounds for Stephen Ortiz over Jeremy Hill. And in the co-main, Jordan White knocked down Misa Lopez twice and stopped him in the sixth round of a scheduled eight round super featherweight bout. Anything stand out to you there?
1: Well, there was a bit of a common theme in those three fights. Uh, It didn't carry over into the main event, but in those three fights, we saw exactly what you want to see on Showbox, which is prospects getting tested as much or more than they ever have before, which resulted in the three winners all producing somewhat uneven performances. Mm -hmm. Uh, Padilla got off to a slow start before pulling out the KO. Uh, Ortiz looked sensational for the first half of his fight. Kind of ordinary. The second half, white was dazzling in spots, but the fight was close. The judges all gave Lopez two or three of the first five rounds. If you're not an absolute elite creme de la creme prospect, then that tough showbox matchmaking will often result in a flawed looking victory, which is what we got with all three of these bouts. Uh, A few specific things to comment on right from the start. Round one of the first fight. Interesting situation. Padilla goes down on a weak-ass knockdown, uh, especially seeing the replay. Uh, a, a punch landed, but it was just a balance thing, the, mm. the ultimate flash knockdown. Great spot to debate whether that's a, a 10-9 or 10-8 round. With the benefit of replay, I went 10-9. When I saw it in real time and wasn't sure just how weak the knockdown was, I might have gone 10-8. I'm not sure what what you thought there, Kieran. Yeah, no, I...
2: Th- I so there's there's two tracks of that question uh, how it should be scored based on current guidelines and whether guidelines should ever be loosened up a little bit right. which is which is the two separate things right i think on the current guidelines it has to be 10-8 because it was a fairly even round otherwise um and as judges you're not allowed to sort of grade the quality of the knockdown but then same as you you look at the replay you're like Ew. But nonetheless, it was just a weird balance thing. It looked weird from the way he went down, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been called, like, a a feet tangle or something and not a knockdown, because it was a weird fall. Um, uh, But nonetheless, no, I think it has to be 10-8 in that that circumstance. However, if you want to say, should judges have greater latitude in this kind of situation, to make that kind of core that you're talking about, I I wouldn't hate that. I, I wouldn't mind changes in the whole 10-point must system generally because right. you never see point six five four three <laughs> two one anyway. Right. right. So, um, so, yes. So it should be 10-8, but would be really happy with the situation in which it didn't have to be.
1: Yeah, I, I would like to see judges given a little more leeway to use their judgment and, and use the points differently. Certainly in in this case, like you said, it wasn't like a dominant, a dominant round uh, for Padilla. Uh, I did think he was winning the round closely otherwise. So if you just think of it as it would have been a ten nine Padilla round, you're already flipping it two points by scoring that by counting the knockdown to to flip it three points by giving him ten eight seems a little unfair, but it is the way that uh, judges are. So, taught to score those ultimately it ended up irrelevant um i thought the stoppage in that fight was good velasquez was pretty out of it i didn't love the stoppage in the white lopez fight as much uh, in fact it pissed me off not because not because lopez wasn't pretty well cooked he, he, he was but arthur mccanny jr did that thing that really bugs me you have a 10 count to work with the guy was wobbly at four so he waves it off Why not see what the next four or five seconds hold and see if he's still wobbly at eight, nine, ten, if you get there. Why not finish counting and assess? You have that ten count to use as a tool. Use it. Uh, Mercanti actually bugged me several times in this fight. He yelled at a talkative corner man to calm down over there. The corner man can talk. Uh, He interjected when Lopez mocked White at one point in the fight. He is an officious dude, that Mercanti.
2: I... I... I cringe a little every time I see that he's reffing, to mm-hmm. be honest. I mean, for me, with the stoppage, I mean, that's a good point, right? Because my, my deal was when he saw Lopez sort of staggering to his feet and staggering being the operative word, I thought, oh, that's right. it. He's done. Right. Um, but it's a fair point. At least finish the count. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, the weird thing is n- normally we'd never think about Arthur McCarthy Jr. stopping a fight too early. Like this is a guy normally a, a fighter <laughs> right. can have his eyeball hanging out on his cheek. The the corner is throwing in the towel, <laughs> yeah. throwing in the stool, everything they can get their hands on. He's like, "Suck it up, champ. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, he he, bu- he bugs me generally. He's a very brave referee as well as an officious mm. referee, as they say. So, uh, if Arthur McCants calling a fight, I'm thinking, well, it's probably a good, it's probably not too early. But no, that's a, that's a good point. At least try to get to the end of the count. I, I right. think that's fair.
1: Okay. I thought he was cooked too.
2: Yeah. Yes, fair enough. Yeah. Right.
1: Um, but but I certainly liked what I saw from White. He might have the most upside of the three undercard winners. And uh, Stephen Ortiz, he has a lot of tools, but I fear that his lack of pop is going to cost yep. him at the next level.
2: Yeah, no, no, no disagreement there at all. It started off quite well, and then sort of this... You'd devolved a little bit as, as the fight went on um yeah absolutely it was unfortunate like it's particularly hit that he should be on one of those showbox cards where like you said all, all the other fights were pretty exciting and spectacular in, in their own little way with mm. ebbs and flows or, or or good knock good knockouts and he was just kind of there a little right bit.
1: yeah all right so we like to name a star of the show for each show box card did any of the undercard winners do enough to win your Star of the Show award, or does it go to the obvious candidate? It's the obvious candidate for <laughs> yeah. me. I, I
2: I want to give Padilla and White extra bonus points and hugs from helping make it possible for me to actually watch the end of a showbox card without having to get up at 5 a.m. and watch it on <laughs> Um But it does have to be Brandon Lee, and it deserves to be. He was being asked his toughest question, yeah, and he didn't just answer the question. He beat it up. So, yeah, Brandon Lee, obviously, for me.
1: Yep, got to be Brandon Lee. Jordan White is a good runner-up. But uh, it, it, it's Brandon Lee. Come on. Even in our modern sportscasting world where people will say stupid contrarian things just to get attention, <laughs> nobody could be contrarian enough to say somebody on this card shown brighter than Brandon Lee. Indeed.
2: All right. Finally, before we go, let's quickly update the scores in our picks contest going in. You led 13 to nine. Uh, We each scored two points for picking Brandon Lee by knockout in the main event. But neither of us came close to getting any bonus points for picking the correct round. As we both anticipated Samuel Tia stretching Brandon Lee into the later rounds. Uh, I think I picked eight and you picked nine. We were way off there. Uh, But two more points for us both, which leaves the score 15-11. Heading into Saturday's Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header. Uh, incidentally, if you didn't see the four-minute feature about Saturday's main event between David Benavides and Ronald Ellis, you can catch it on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. And after you've checked it out, be sure to tune in tomorrow, Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, for Showtime Championship Boxing. And we will be back on Monday. to we'll back on it and the rest of the weekend's match. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the podcast. Be safe, be kind,
1: and be well.
0: The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount+. And for the first time ever... I want
1: you to use your talent for good for a change.
0: (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms of five.